Hello and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, and I'm here to speak with everyday superheroes helping nonprofits. Joining me today is Sabrina Walker Hernandez to talk about building a board of directors. Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Alex. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. So, uh, before we get started, wanted to know what is your superhero origin story? That is to say, how did you get started working with nonprofits? Well, you know, like with most, um, I kind of fell into it, but really I, I say that, but I grew up in the church and my mom was a missionary. Um, and so, you know, if, if you're a church kid, if you needed, um, like choir, choir uniforms or anything like that, you always had to fundraise for it. So I was very used to fundraising. And then when I went to college, I made, I was pre-law, political science. And, um, so I did an internship with this organization called Advocacy Resource Center for Housing, ARCH, where I got to serve as a mediator between landlords and tenants. And so I really was doing that because I wanted to get a feel for mediation before I went into law school. Well, um, I got to work with some attorneys um, during that process, and I decided I did not want to go to law school because I did not want to be trained to with, with law school. There's no um, right or wrong. There's only the law. And so I was I found out that was not for me. But what I did fall in love with was the nonprofit side of the house again and being able to advocate and help um, my clients. And so that's how I got back into it. Yeah, there's, I've talked about this at length on other shows, other podcasts, and the idea of just there's something magical about the nonprofit world that just draws in a certain kind of person. And it's, it is all gray zone, right? There's no black and white, like you said, for law. And that's kind of where the fun is, right? When you don't know exactly um, where things lie and you have to kind of work your way through it and navigate as best as you can. That's, a, that's where the adventure lies. Yeah, it is. It really is an adventure because like you said, there is um, there are many ways to to get to it. And oftentimes you're faced with limited resources or um, and, and it forces you really to be creative and mm-hmm. to really look at um, issues uh, strategically and see what is the best results that you can get for whomever it is that you're serving at that time. And so I really um, love that that process. No, no two days are ever the same. And speaking of which, and in part why we've chosen this particular topic for today is because you are serving, you told me, on five different board of directors. And I'm curious to know if you could just you know, high level, you know, what are those boards and how do you help? Well, you know, um, people, you know, I say five boards and they go, oh my God, you know, but I will say that two of those boards are fundraising boards. I, I truly believe, I started out believing that you should only serve on one fundraising board at, at a time, but this great opportunity came up for me. So I serve on a startup nonprofit board as, and then a more established nonprofit board. Um, and so it, 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 I was able to manage both. And so then the other three boards that I serve on, I actually give get to give out money. Um, one of them is for um, the Economic Development Corporation in our community. And I get to give out money not only to for-profit businesses, but also nonprofits that are um, looking at like workforce solutions um, and job creation solutions in our community. Um, and then for the other two boards that I serve on that I give out money for, it's more traditional. They're um, foundation boards in our community. One is um, 
for a company that actually started their their board. Um, it used to be you approached them and, you know, they gave money from their marketing budget um, or their employee campaign budget. And now they decided that they're creating a company foundation. And so they asked me to serve on that board. And um, I've, it's been a great experience. So those are the boards that I kind of I serve on. That's what makes up five. And the other one is actually our Rotary Club. Our Rotary Club actually also created a foundation um, board. Um, and because we had a very successful event for the last 15 years, that's raised over $100,000. And we have about um, a million dollars um, in an endowment, and we give out about $60,000 a year to our community. And so I serve on that board and get to decide where the money is going to go in our community. So it's fun when you're giving out the money, not so much fun when you're asking for the money. <laughs> so five boards, well, wow, that's that's really impressive. I, I don't know. I mean, you must have amazing time management skills, but <laughs> I'm really curious. I'm going to take this from a very naive perspective, just to make sure our listeners who may be not so familiar with what a board of directors does, you know, take us through the journey. So let's start at the very highest level, most ignorant level. I use that in quotes. And could you just maybe start by explaining, you know, what does the board of directors do? What, what is their purpose uh, in a nonprofit? Well, a board of directors has three purposes. One is trusteeship. One is oversight. And the third is ensuring necessary resources. And so a lot of people get stuck in the ensuring necessary resources. And that is the fundraising piece um, of serving on the board. And so I take that piece very seriously on all the boards that I serve on. And so what that means for me is it means something different for each board. But for the um, nonprofit startup and the more traditional one, I give personally to those organizations. And not only do I give personally to those organizations, I also support in any fundraising activities that they have, right? And so for the other like boards that I serve on where I'm giving out money, ensuring necessary resources really does mean making um, strategic decisions about who we invest in in the community so that um, we maintain our reputation and not only maintain our reputation, but also ensure that those that we are investing in, that they are organizations um, that have some sustainability with them. And so that's the ensuring necessary resource. And so I talk about that one a lot. So trusteeship is really about ensuring that the organizations are working from a strategic framework, um, having those, uh, you know, that planning in place and having goals, making sure that um, not only do are they working from goals in a strategic um, framework, but also that they have a, you know, you're advocating for them in the community and they have a, gr a good relationship. And then with that middle piece of oversight, this too can lend to some confusion for people because with oversight is not micromanaging the day-to-day -day operations. Um, oversight is ensuring that you have board approved policies in place, whether those policies are around the board themselves, whether those policies are around how finance is managed in the organization, um, personnel policies, all of those things fall up in, in that order. It is not coming in and managing the day-to-day -day operations of an organization. Yeah, I, I see it often where if a decision needs to be made, at least an executive or important decision needs to be made, 
the executive director of the nonprofit goes to the board of directors to ask whether, not even whether the decision is right or wrong, it's whether the the process of the decision is right or wrong. And like, you know, we've decided based, this is going to be our criteria, for example, for selecting a, a vendor for our CRM, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily whether this is actually the right CRM or not. It's more like, do you trust the process that we've set up for our place to ensure that we do select the right CRM? Would you agree with that? Or would you say it actually gets to one level deeper in, in addition to that would be, you know, here are the CRMs we are considering and we've chosen this one and here's why, and they would approve or disapprove, you know, whether it's a CRM or any other kind of app or tool. Where does the, where does that decision basically, the oversight, where does it end up? Because I understand it's not day-to-day stuff. So there must be some line where they just don't cross. Yeah, it's not the day-to-day stuff. And that's a great example with the CRM. So it gives me an opportunity to share this viewpoint. And so for me, selecting the CRM is more of a day-to-day operation function. And what the board is um, in that process is more of ensuring that operating budget is approved and that within that operating budget, there is a line item in perhaps office supply or whatever that is, uh, or professional services or technology that you have money budgeted for a CRM system. And then from there, the CEO can um, determine um, which CRM system to get. Now, where you want to consider board engagement is not taking it necessarily to the entire board, but you may want to create a task force from board membership or even some outside members to say, you know, we're looking at these CRM systems here. They are, here's the, you know, the research on them and let's look at them so we can make the best decision. Um, But then presenting to the board, here is the CRM system. Even if you're talking to the board about the CRM system that has been chosen, um, more for me, what you will be discussing with the board is, This is a CRM system that the task force uh, picked um, that we've looked at together collectively. And this is how the CRM system can be used to advance our fundraising goal. And this is how we see board using this CRM system. I very much believe in not getting the board involved in the weeds of the organization and to keep them at the higher level. Um, But again, speaking to engagement, there is nothing wrong with a great task force that can help you look at the comparative between all the CRM systems to make sure that, you know, you're, you're doing that due diligence. So that was a great example, Alex. Yeah, no, and it's, it's relevant and it's, it gives a very concrete tactical approach to that topic. So thank you for that. I'm curious to know, because I imagine there's there's a slight, I'm not sure if even slight is the right word, but there's definitely an overhead in having to go to a board for these kinds of decisions. Is there ever a moment in time where it makes sense not to have a board of directors or vice versa? If you're a small nonprofit, you're just starting off, would you normally recommend starting right away with a board of directors? Or is there a certain moment in time where you realize, you know, we really could leverage one and therefore we'll start to build one? Right. So, you know, when you do your your 501c3 paperwork or you become a nonprofit um, in the U.S. at the IRS, it says you have to have a, a minimum of three people um, at, uh, on your board just to be a nonprofit. And so mm-hmm. those three people um, 
really, that's where the discussion really, really happens. And I always tell people, your board is your dream team. And so even if you are, um, I understand trying to get your paperwork and you put some placeholder names there, you know, and a lot of times people put, you know, their mother, brother, cousin. I call that kind of like the Bubba theory. And it's okay to have that on paper when you're first starting out. But as you are moving forward and you have determined that this nonprofit that you've started is not going to be um, for lack of a better word, and I don't mean to sound disrespectful, um, a hobby. So you have to ask yourself, what is my nonprofit going to be? Am I going to be a um, organization where I'm only where I'm raising like fifteen thousand dollars because I want to help, you know, one give out a couple of scholarships in the community? Or I want to help one, you know, um, that's, for example, cancer patient. Well, if that is your goal, then it's okay to have those three board, three board members because you're going to put on maybe, you know, one event or you're going to, you know, ask a couple of family members for money to get to your $15,000. And that's what you want to do. And that's okay. There's no right or wrong. But if you went into this and you started a nonprofit and you really want to grow this into a sustainable organization that, you know, is going to grow over the years from, you know, from a startup and then going into the next phase um, and eventually maybe be a multi-million dollar organization, then you need to really think about who your board will be. Um, and you'd have to be strategic around that. So even with that um, latter model in mind, it's okay to start off with three people, um, but don't exercise that bubble theory. Um, they need to be people that um, align with the goals that you want to have and be very strategic. And then as you move through that, you grow that board um, and I always say, you know, from three, um, perhaps five to seven, because you have to manage all those personalities. Right. And then as you mature through this process, um, a good number is um, the 15 mark. And then the next level would be maybe like 21 board members, um, because basically your board, again, is your dream team and your dream team is helping you get to the vision that you're trying to accomplish. So let me give you a good example. When um, I was going through my capital campaign and we were wanting to build a facility, we had about 15 board members and we did a board matrix and um, we looked at that matrix and we realized our vision was to build this building, but we had no one on our board that had a construction background. Uh, we had no one on our board that had an engineering background or architectural background. And so we realized we had those gaps on our board. And so when we recruited for our board members, we knew we needed to have someone who owned a um, construction company, someone, um, again, who maybe had an engineering background or architectural background or project management background. And so we were very clear about the four to five people that we wanted to add to our board that was going to help us reach that goal. And so when you're dealing with that, you have to be very, very strategic and very smart. And so I really encourage people, don't exercise the Bubba theory, which is where you have your mother, brother, cousin on the board because they know the same people that you know.
right? And a lot of times you get into this and you think, um, well, I, you know, especially when you're just starting out, when I need people that's going to help me fundraise, um, and then um, you get frustrated because your mother, brother, cousin doesn't really do that. And um, because they know the same people that you know, or they said yes to you because they were supporting you. They knew you were starting this and you asked them without um, really you understanding what it meant to be a board member. And so I just tell people really and truly look at your board as your dream team and analyze it based on that. I'm not a sports person by any means, but I do understand trying to create a championship team that's going to help you, um, you know, get to whatever that is, the Super Bowl or um, the NBA championship. And so look at it like that. Your board is your dream team and you need to make sure you have some, you know, star players on your board and some great support players that's going to get you to the next level, whatever that next level is and i say that next level is based on your goals all right so i love the uh, dream team yeah, sports analogies work often really well so uh and bubba team i love that concept mm -hmm. as well i imagine it, it's easier to go from like 15 board members to 21 because you've already set that process in motion but going from replacing your bubba team to three i don't want to say competent but definitely specialized focused strategic options Going from even from replacing the initial three and going from three to five to seven requires a lot more care and planning and um, just finding these people. Like, where would you actually find those initial core team members? And, you know, how would you move from there just to the next level of from five to seven? Just, I mean, is it a matter of just asking your network for people who are interested or is it going for some kind of um, email campaign? Or I, I'm curious to know how you would find those people. Yeah, it, it is expanding your network, actually. Mm. Um, and it is, and I tell people this, and, and it may sound, you know, it was great advice that was passed on to me. I, I didn't think it was harsh at the time. So I'm just going to share it, is you cannot run your nonprofit from your desk. So you have to get out and you have to network in the community. And for me, that looked like initially was um, I joined my, my chamber and I found some of my best board members um, by being involved in the chamber leadership class. I found some great board members um, that helped me grow my organization. And so I always speak her name, Ella De La Rosa. She's since passed from breast cancer, but Ella was a member of my leadership class and she served on my board for a number of years. And she was one of my board champions. She was there with me anytime I wanted to, um, you know, initiate change with them in my organization that I thought may not be popular. It was Ella who introduced that. So going from, you know, no board giving to 100% board giving, it was Ella who helped navigate that. Also found, um, Another uh, person who actually served on the capital campaign committee for our $12 million capital campaign through our leadership class, as well as um, someone whose um, family foundation prepared 400 meals at no cost and served, served them for our major fundraising event was all found through my leadership class through the chamber. And then for a year, I served um, on the as an ambassador 
through our chamber and ambassadors are invited to all the ribbon cuttings and you get to, you know, to get the, you know, kiss babies, cut ribbons and do all that. And I did that really intentionally because I wanted to introduce our organization to any new businesses that were coming um, in the community and, you know, get get known in the community and not only get known, but also be able to um, identify potential um, board members. Um, and then finally, um, for me, it was looking at and analyzing the community and joining a civic group. I, so I chose to, to join Rotary and I had some fabulous uh, success with that and meeting um, some key people in the community who also served on my board. So those were the two avenues that I took getting out in the community, um, getting involved with the chamber and um, getting involved with civic groups. So there are many ways to do this, but you can't do it from your desk. You got to get up and you got to get out and you have to decide um, where you're going to invest your time. And some people will say, yes, but it costs money to join, um, to have a chamber membership. Yes, it does. Um, and just because you are a nonprofit does not mean you're not going to have to invest. Um, and most chambers um, do have like a nonprofit rate. But yes, you do have to invest. And it's not just an investment of money. It's an investment of your time. No one is going to come knocking on your door asking to serve on your board. And if they do, I would be leery because they probably want it for their resume. And those are not the type of board members that you want. Yeah, it reminds me of the um, the best leaders are the ones who are chosen, not volunteering to be leaders. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I mean, and I've heard the same thing about, so when you get that moment of transition, when you are starting off a nonprofit, you know, it's more of a, it could be considered a hobby and then you start getting serious. And that's when you start, like you said, getting off, getting out from outside of your desk, getting outside, building that network, building the community, and then finding those people who will fit and align with your goals to make sure that they're able to help you get to those goals. So love it. Yeah, I got one more thing I want to say. Um, if you sure. are a new nonprofit, I think this will benefit them too. Um, always try to get someone. Uh, th- these are a couple of positions, regardless of where your strategic goal is when you're creating that dream team, that you want to make sure that you have on your board. One is someone with a background in marketing. Um, and where that strategy um, comes in is maybe it, the strategy would be depending on your mission or your goal, um, what industry they're from. But every pretty much every industry has a marketing uh, has a marketing component from car dealerships to the hospital um, to city government. There's marketing departments or people that are in charge of marketing. The other one is going to be someone who has a great handle on um, finance. So someone with um, an accounting background or a CPA um, would be always good. And then someone with legal um, expertise. Um, And it doesn't always say it doesn't matter what legal aspect that background they have, because what their goal is, if they can't answer the question, is to exercise the the network that they have to get the right person to answer the questions that may arise for your nonprofit. So I wanted to make sure um, of of that, someone marketing, financial, and legal experience. This is going to be maybe an odd question. And again, I'm taking, I'm just going to, you know, close my eyes to my experience and just take it as, as a more naive experience, more naive question rather. Is there ever a moment where you should audit your board? That is to say, if you're, you know, you, 
you're the founder of the nonprofit. You've chosen these individuals. Perhaps one is you have a feel that they're not quite working for you. Is there ever a moment where you have to like fire a board member? I don't know how, or ask if they're yes. still engaged and ask if they, how would you like, what, what is the, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, I know you, you should constantly be assessing your board. First of all, I will say this, you want to set people up for success. So in setting people up for success, you need to have a recruitment process. And in that recruitment process, you need to do an interview. And in that interview, you need to lay out for people what um, what are your expectations to serve on this board. And so I will say this, if you're new starting out, it may be just you as the founder, um, but if not it. I always say um, you and the nomination committee, which could be you and one other board member or you and two other board members. And you go about, you know, recruiting for the gaps that you have on your board. But when you are recruiting, you talk to people about what are the expectations? You know, what is the expectation for attendance? I couldn't serve on five boards if I didn't have boards that did this interview process because during that interview process they tell me well we have an expectation of attendance and here's when our meetings are our meetings are on the second Tuesday of every month at 11 45 a.m and we end by 1 p.m right so right there I can say okay check I can attend those because my calendar I have that availability the next thing you talk about is fundraising and they lay out a clear uh, pathway for fundraising and to say, you know, each board member is responsible for raising $3,000 um, or for raising or getting $3,000. And here's the pathway. You have to join our Heritage Society um, as a board member. And to join that Heritage Society is $1,500. And so right away, you know, you got to give $1,500. Um, and then you have to sell a table for $1,000 at an event. And you have to sell five tickets um, at $100 each. So that's your $3,000. All of these things are talked about during the interview process so that you're setting them up uh, for success so they can feel comfortable saying, yes, I can do that. Now, once they are on the board and they've gone through the interview process and they've said, yes, um, they can do that, you can have that expectation form that they sign just kind of restating everything. And that can be given during the orientation, during the board orientation. Why would you need to do a board orientation? Because for anybody new that's coming onto your board, if you don't do an orientation, it's going to take them about a good year to figure out what is going on. Right. I don't know what is going on. So if you do a good orientation where you share with them, here's the mission. Here's a copy of our last three sets of, of minutes. Here's our vision. Um, here's the budget, you know, the the current operating budget. Um, are there any questions? Here's the expectations. Again, sign the expectation form. If you happen to be facility based, give them a tour of the facility, you know, do a good orientation. Right. Um, and then from there, after the orientation, one of the things that um, I like to implement and I suggest that everyone implement is that in creating a culture for your nonprofit, I can tell you for the organization that I ran, we had a very 
open culture. So at the beginning of every board packet, we had uh, a chart for board attendance. So it had all our board meeting dates. It had all our board members' names. And it had an A if they were absent, a P if they were present. And because we were very serious about attendance. And if you miss three or more meetings, then the board had the option to vote you off. And so we did not want anybody to be blindsided by it. And we wanted it to be a focus. So it was in the beginning packet of our board board meeting packets every month. And so people could see it, other board members could see it, and it was about that full accountability process. Not only was that there, on a quarterly basis, we um, well, every month we included a chart that said, um, I had a board member that was a statistician, to be very honest, and she created this um, Excel chart where for every thousand dollars people raised, they got a point. Um, for every meeting they attended, they got a point. But the whole goal um, was for the board to each board member to gain 15 points for the year. And so um, every month it was in there, but we really focused on it quarterly and talked about it quarterly. And so if you were in the if you were in the green that quarter, that meant um, you you were on par to make the to raise what you needed to raise for attendance. If you were in the yellow, you were almost there. If you were in the red, you were definitely behind. And we talked about it. So we created that culture of accountability. Now, if your organization doesn't have that culture of accountability, um, some of the things that you can put in place is you can do like self um, evaluations board where you send where board members can self evaluate. And that document can be um, created very strategically where it says, you know, one of the questions could be, you know, I met my fundraising goal of. $3,000 for the year. It's a yes or no. You know, I was able to attend at least 70% of board meetings, uh, meaning I did not miss more than three board meetings within the year. It's going to be a yes or no. And so they will self-evaluate. And so as they are self-evaluating and they see that they did not do what they needed to do, they will self-select off the board. So that's one way that you can do it. But you have to have something where people are evaluating. And then another thing that I would like, I like to do too, and maybe it doesn't really go back to um, like board evaluation, but I like to also evaluate the effectiveness of the board meetings. And so at least twice a year, I would have my board uh, members do a quick survey on the actual board meeting. Was it efficient use of the time? It, more closed in questions, but was it efficient use of the time? Um, how effective was the agenda? Is there anything that I'd like to see change so that they, they could add some comments there? So there's many ways that you can evaluate um, the board, but you do need to have something in place so it can get better. And if people are not doing what they need to do, that's where term limits come in. And that's where the evaluations come in. So you don't renew someone's term. Basically, yeah, you're firing them because you're you're not going to renew their term.
And if you don't have term limits, I suggest you get term limits, put them in your bylaws, because that is one <laughs> way to plaque people off your board. Now, you're going to honor them as you as they leave. You know, you're going to give them a nice little thank you gift. Um, you're not going to make them feel bad, but it just wasn't a fit. That's a lot of tactical tips. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. At any point, if I give too much, just let me know. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. And I love the gamification part of it where you, <laughs> you're giving points to board members and making sure they reach 50 points. That's awesome. So in a similar vein then, or actually going to more a positive note, let's call it, what would be some of the, I mean, it maybe sounds obvious, but what are some of the benefits of having this a good board? Like how big of an influence does a board of directors really have on an organization? Is it really like a, they can take it from a, you know an average nonprofit to an ex- excellent nonprofit? Or like where, I, I already am anticipating the answer to the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Like what really are, some of the advantages and benefits of having a strong board of directors? Oh, my. A board of directors can make or break an organization. And a board, you know, each individual is lending their credibility um, to that organization. Um, And so if they are credible individuals in the community and they are known for their leadership in the community, by default, they're lending that to your organization. And so they can open doors for your organization. Um, And that could be doors around, you know, fundraising. That could be doors around partnerships and collaborations. Um, That could be doors um, um, that get you to the next level to foundation funding. And so it's, they're very critical. And you, you know, you can't make the assumption that your board knows that. You have to educate them on how to be an advocate for your organization. You have to educate them on how to be an ambassador for your organization. There, and so because look, they can be the best community leader out there and love your organization. But if you haven't trained them um, to say, you know, when you're at a rotary meeting or a chamber meeting or city council meeting, whatever meeting that is, here's the speaking points that we want to focus on for our organization. Here's our elevator, you know, pitch. And we want all our board members to be saying the same thing. So it's not, you know, confusing. So one person saying this and one person saying that. That's what your board meetings are for, is to make sure that you are educating. A part of that is educating your boards on how to be a great advocate, how to be a great you know, ambassador for your organization. Because if you get the right people saying the right things um, in the community, you definitely will have, they definitely can have a great impact on your organization. And you've already kind of alluded to the answer or mentioned part of it is what would be in it for the board member? Like, why would they even want to help? Is it, is it just because they feel that they can, they can contribute towards something that is in their skill set, or they, you mentioned earlier, they want something on their resume. Like there must be something more to it than just uh, resume building, right? Yeah, there's some definitely something more to it than resume building. I mean, why do I serve on five boards? Um, you why know, do you? <laughs> I, I see, yeah, right. So I do it because I want to help my community. I want you know, look. We humans, um, we're givers, um, and so really, it's about um, setting up your organization to be the recipient of of that giving, and so making sure that the people that you 
recruit to your board has a passion for the clients and for your mission um, because they're going to give. It's just about, um, you know, are they going to give to you their time, their talent and their treasure? And so you're positioning yourself for that. Um, and I, it actually feels good um, to give back. And you have to remember that. I think a lot of times that nonprofits come um, with this mentality of a servitude as opposed to coming in service. You are coming in service um, to your to your community and to your board members to say, you know, here's the problem. We have this solution and we invite you to be a part of that. And people want to be a part of success. And so I try very hard to tell nonprofits, you know, especially when you're recruiting board members and, and donors, it's all the same conversation because your donor, your board members are donors too. And let's not forget that. So don't take them for granted. But, you know, nobody wants to join um, something that is a sinking ship or something or someone to say, you know, we can't do this without you. Or, you know, if you don't help us, this could go away. No, they want to be a part of a solution, a successful solution. And so you present it in that way. Um, here's the problem. Here's what we're doing to solve that problem. And we invite you to be a part of that. I will jump on a winning team anytime um, because there is burden if it's not, if you, if you, you know, a group of people are not working together towards that, that goal, whatever that goal is. I think the the giving back part, once you start realizing in life that one of the greatest rewards is to give your time and, and to help um, as opposed to just take, it, it's yeah. um, a magical moment. Let's just call it like that. It feels good. You know, it feels it, it good. Definitely, and especially if you can use your particular skill set in helping an organization be better and stronger. Right, right. It's a, it's not a heavy lift. It's not mm -hmm. a heavy lift when you specifically tell me I'm recruiting you for the board because this is what I, this is, this is your why. You know, when I got recruited to the museum board, they did a very good job in, um, in saying, you know, this is why we're recruiting you to this board. You have this background. This is where we're trying to expand our program. And we want you to come on board to help with that. Very clear, very uh, specific. I understood the why. And um, I didn't have to guess at it. Um, and then they set it up where I could shine in those in those spotlights. And so if the more you can do that for the people um, that you're trying to recruit to your board, the better it will be. Um, why? Why are you recruiting me? Where where do you where do you see my talent fit, uh, you know, fitting? And not only that, my talent fitting, you're giving me, you know, this this is what the at minimum the expectation is. And here's the pathway. I mean. You can't you can't beat that when when it's that crystal clear. Absolutely, totally agree. I'm curious if there's anything, um, and I'm looking now on the from the nonprofit perspective, just because I like talking about tools and technology. Is there anything that a nonprofit can use to help them with their board of directors? I mean, you talked about that informational booklet at the beginning, which is a great resource just to onboard the nonprofit um, board member. But is there anything? that you can think of or add that would help in terms of technologies, um, managing, yeah, you know, organizing. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of things out there. Of course. Um, there is, uh, 
There's Bordable, um, which um, allows for, you know, a communication portal um, where all communication can be housed for your board members. But I'm really, and you can edit this out if you need to, but I'm really not an advocate of um, those type tools until you are, until you have a huge, a bigger team. I think a good old Google Drive works just as well, um, where you can put shared documents in there. You know, um, if you're having a fundraising event, here's the 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 sponsorship packets in there. The case for support is in there. Um, the board roster is in there. All the tools are in that drive and making sure that um, your board members know about that drive and they have access to that drive and don't get frustrating frustrating frustrated with them when they still ask you for stuff. You just say, you know, it's in the drive and here's the, you know, here's the link to the drive. Um, but making those things accessible to them. And there's another um, great tool. And I will say this um, when you have your strategic plan um, called Mission Meet, because a lot of times um, boards will go through a strategic planning process. And that plan becomes this like nice tool on a shelf that collects dust. And um, I have found that those who use um, some type of project management software, and it doesn't have to be Mission Meet, it could be Asana, but some type of project management software where the groups can talk to each other, you can lay out that plan in there, that that plan will, uh, will get executed better. So it sounds like a communication tool when you reach a certain size is a good idea, a repository of some kind where you can store documents, maybe meetings and summary of meetings, project mm -hmm. management tool of some kind, even if it's lightly used, that would be um, mm -hmm. a good choice as well. Yeah. I'm curious, is there any, from your perspective, have you seen AI being used in any kind of context with a board of directors? I know it's still relatively early. I could see it being used, for example, to summarize meetings, especially if there's a, a transcript of the meeting. But I'm just curious to know if there's any other element that AI could be used for at this time. Oh, yeah. AI could be used to help you generate an efficient, um, timed agenda. I, I found that if you time your agenda and, um, you know, I, you know, I have an hour or hour and a half, you know, I made a promise to my board members that our meetings would be no longer than an hour, hour and a half, and we would still get things accomplished. And so I can see using AI to generate that timed agenda. Um, that would be a great use of that, um, that tool. And um, also, you know, using AI to ensure that if engagement, a lot of nonprofits say, you know, I have a hard time engaging my board. The AI to me is like such a great brainstorming partner. Of course, it's all about the prompts, but I would use AI um, for those for those type brainstorming questions. And then in terms of looking forward, I, I don't know, like I like, like asking this question as, as we're kind of exiting the idea of, and I'm not even sure how to phrase this in this context, but is there any trends or future trends or changes you see that you can see going in this to the future as well in terms of um, in the context of a board of directors? Like, is there is is it becoming easier or harder to find board of directors or is any kind of like these kinds of trends that appearing in your um, in your on your radar? I know that people are talking about um, the uh, conversation around governance and what that means. And I just want that. I want people to understand that um, the discussion between governance and oversight 
I guess, is what a lot of people are talking about. And understanding that oversight um, is not micromanaging, right? And also understand when you're ta- having a conversation around governance, that governance looks different depending on the size of the organization. And, and so people are starting to delve into that more. And this thing about, and this is one of my soapbox issues too, this thing about, you know, um, my board is not a fundraising board. That doesn't exist. All boards are fundraising boards or my board is uh, a working board. All boards are working boards. It just depends on the development of the organization defines what that work is. And so I'll give you a good example. For the startup organization that I serve on, that work could be literally uh, me driving from a dollar general to dollar general looking for towels and taking those to the vendor to get the embroidery put on the logo, you know, the logo embroidered on the tower and then taking those towels to the actual event and distributing them. That's the work because there's no paid staff. Whereas for the museum board that I uh, serve on, I don't have to do that. That is not the work because we have a staff person that would do that. But the work then in that same event would be me getting up and saying thank you to the volunteers that were at, um, at the event, um, delivering whatever our key message message is for the event. And so the work, right, looks different. But they're all working boards and they're all fundraising boards. Um, and when you say my board is not a fundraising board, basically um, you are you are buying into this lack of diversification for your organization because you're saying that we are organization that has dependent on one source of funding, whether that be a grant. In most situations, it's a grant. We have not forced our board outside of their comfort zone to do an event or to ask face-to-face for gifts. And so I really wish people would stop saying my board is not a fundraising board. Wise words. Sabrina, this has been awesome. There's a lot of great content in here, but I imagine we've only scratched the surface in what is could be asked. So how would people listening to this be able to reach out to you if they have any follow-up questions? Yes, just go to my website at www.supportingworldhope.com. From there, you can hit me up on all the links, lands, and the, you know, the Facebooks and the Instagram. But just remember www.supportingworldhope.com. Fantastic. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. All right, that's it for today. I'm Alexander Lapa, and I hope you join me again in the next Agents of Nonprofit.